0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good great morning. to be with you guys uh, this morning. If I haven't met you officially just yet, uh, my name is Peyton, and I serve as one of the overseers here at Center Church. And uh, typically on Sundays, um, Kevin preaches, uh, right? But uh, he and Casey had the opportunity to, uh, to get away uh, and to go and celebrate their 20th anniversary. Uh, so it sounds like they really enjoyed that time, just them, no kids, uh, and, and really enjoyed it. And, and as I was talking with Kevin, um, I was a little, uh, a little jealous because he said that he, he got to eat a lot of seafood. And so that's, um, that's like my favorite. So I love seafood. But um, uh, it, at Center Church, we think that it's valuable for pastors uh, to have time and to have opportunities where they can take vacations, step away from ministry, step back a little bit from the busyness of everything, right? In fact, we think that this is a healthy thing for pastors to do. So, so last week, you guys, uh, we, we heard from Brett, right? And he preached uh, on uh, Simon the Magician, did an awesome job with that in Acts. And then today you get to hear uh, a little bit from me as I share from Acts as well. So if this is your first time here at Center Church Uh, Or or if you're just, like, checking out churches, and um, I I just want to uh, extend a warm welcome to you. So we're uh, delighted to have you guys uh, here with us today, and if you are a regular attender of Center Church, then you know that we like to go through uh, books of the Bible uh, when we preach on Sundays, and just go through that chapter by chapter. And so for the past several months, uh, we've been studying through the book of Acts, right? So as, as we've seen, the book of Acts is a fascinating and historical account of the explosion of the early church. Now when I say an explosion of the early church, what I mean is that many people were coming to faith uh, in Jesus. So the disciples were sharing the good news of who Jesus was, and we'll talk more ab- about what that means, the good news, uh, in, a, in a little bit. Uh, just know that as they were sharing the good news of Jesus in and around Jerusalem— Uh, we see thousands of people come to faith uh, in Jesus and respond in repentance. And so we've already learned that uh, as new believers were coming to faith and as the disciples were going from town to town, uh, we see these new communities right that are being formed, new communities where generosity and worship were rich. So what we're seeing is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, before we read the text this morning, here's just a brief summary of the context of what was unfolding at this time, right? So Stephen was martyred in chapters 6 and 7. The religious leaders had him stoned to death for speaking against The religious practices and speaking about Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 1, right, there was great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, uh, and they were scattered all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And in chapter 8, verse 3, right, we see that Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering into house after house, dragging men and women out of their homes uh, and committed them to prison. And so you might think that the situation was hopeless, right, and the circumstances were grim. But look at what the Holy Spirit was doing in the midst of their persecution, right? In Acts 8-4, while they were scattered, they went about preaching Christ. Chapter 8, verse 7, miracles were being performed, paralyzed people were being healed, like demons were being casted out of people, like there was some really crazy stuff that was happening at this time. Uh, And in chapter 8, verse 8, we read that there was much joy in the city. So in the midst of persecution, what was heaviness and darkness for the Christians at this time, there was much joy. And so this morning, I'm excited to share uh, with you a message of hope and transformation uh, in Acts. And so this passage tells the account of Philip and Ethiopian eunuch, and is a powerful reminder of how God pursues people. So you can open up your Bibles, uh, or you can follow along with me on the screen, but we're going to read Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, he came uh, to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, God, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you so much for your church. Uh, thank you, God, that we can read this and that you you speak to us. And so, God, would, would you speak to us now? Would you speak to our hearts through your word? May we see your goodness and your mercy and just your love for us, for your people. So bless this time, God. We, we uh, dedicate this to you, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what we read uh, this morning is an account of the Holy Spirit, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, and Philip, the foreign Philip. Uh, And so, with this particular story, um, it it could be easy for us to just read through this account and think to ourselves, like, "Wow, this this is really good, right?" Uh, So uh, Jesus is preached. uh, The Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith, and the Holy Spirit is powerful. Like. We could be done right now. Like, that, that's all good. It, it, it's great, right? Uh, slam dunk. Uh, way to go, Philip. Uh, so, but, but here's the thing. Although these things are true, um, it, it's good for us to, to dig in uh, and see the truths that God lays out for us in his word. So, so let's do that. Uh, what I want to do is, is walk through these verses and uh, elaborate on some points, right? Give a little bit of context and hopefully uh, lead us in answering a couple questions, right? The first question is, what does this passage mean to us? Right, what does this passage mean to us? And then the second is, what does this passage say about God? So reading in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So what what we read here uh, in the first verse is what we would call a divine encounter. We find examples of divine encounters all throughout the Bible, many times, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, where an angel of the Lord is sent by God to interact with people as his spokesman uh, or representative. In fact, the phrase angel of the Lord is used over 60 times in the Bible. So if you go and you look uh, at each of those examples— We witness the display of God's great power as he interacts with people. So so whenever we read about an angel of the Lord in the Bible, uh, we know that something significant is about to happen between God and between people. So here we see the angel interacting with Philip, right, leading and prompting him to do something. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. So, so Philip now is on his way. He's going down the road in the desert as he was instructed and then meets up with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said uh, to Philip, go over and join his chariot. Okay, so we don't really know a lot about uh, the Ethiopian eunuch aside from what we read uh, here today. And so he most certainly was a high-ranking official, uh, and so he, he probably wasn't a chump, right? Um, he probably knew how to do his job well. Uh, he most likely was very competent. The, the king and queen wouldn't necessarily put someone in charge of all the treasure um, if the person uh, was incompetent or didn't know what they were doing. So, so he was probably a sharp guy. Another observation uh, that we can take note of uh, is that the Ethiopian had some sort of faith uh, in God. He specifically traveled north to Jerusalem to worship God, presumably at the temple. Uh, and so the, the Old Testament tells us that the temple is where God dwelt, right? His presence was filled in the temple, and it's where his people would go to worship him and to offer up sacrifices. So it was customary as part of worshiping at the temple to offer up sacrifices. Like, this is what you would do when you go to the temple. You would offer up sacrifices, right? To cover for your sins, you would offer up uh, uh, prayers and possibly some incense in certain situations. And so we'll, we'll touch more uh, on temple worship and the significance of animal sacrifices in, in a little bit more detail here. Okay, another observation that is key to note uh, and is really important is the fact that he was a eunuch. Do you know what a eunuch is? Some of you may already know what it means to have the title of a eunuch, but basically eunuchs were castrated, right? So they were in service to the rulers and were often placed in positions uh, of, of access, right? And so um, sometimes they 'll have access to the king 's concubines or wives or or uh, in this case the, the eunuch may have spent some time around uh, the queen a lot, and so because eunuchs could not procreate, uh, they were not a threat to the sovereign 's rule right they, they couldn't establish like a competing lineage uh, and so eunuchs were, were castrated, and what 's important to know is that the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament law, prevented eunuchs from entering into the temple to worship. Deuteronomy twenty-three one says, "No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord." So, folks, th- this is a key barrier that the Ethiopian eunuch was faced with when going to Jerusalem to worship God. Right there, there was a barrier between the eunuch and God because it was there in the temple where God's presence was filled. So keep that in mind as, as we walk through the verses today. Just keep that in mind that there were barriers that the Ethiopian eunuch faced regarding temple worship and his access to God. Okay, okay so moving on. Uh, so the Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopian eunuch was on his way home after worshiping in Jerusalem, however that may have looked, right? Uh, and, and he met Philip on the road. Now, this was a long journey that took a really long time, right? Going to Jerusalem, it wasn't some quick weekend trip, you know, that he and his entourage uh, uh, took. It it would have taken several weeks, right? The entire journey there and back would have taken several weeks uh, just to get to Jerusalem. And so it was an expensive trip, but the eunuch was determined to go and worship God. And we know uh, from reading the verses here this morning that the journey and his encounter with Philip— would basically change his life forever. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet uh, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So I, I love uh, the response here by the Ethiopian eunuch. Like, How can I understand what I'm reading if, if someone doesn't help explain it to me? Right? And so it was a genuine question, and maybe it's one that you have faced as well. Right? Uh, do you sometimes find yourself like reading the Bible and you just don't quite follow what it's saying, or it's just unclear of the significance of the passage that you're reading? Right? Th- this is normal, and so you aren't expected to know everything about the Bible by yourself in your own power. Right? There-, there are a couple things here that we can learn from the Ethiopian eunuch in verse 30. And so the first is that humility is an ingredient for heart transformation. Humility is an ingredient for heart transformation. And the second is this. God instructs others. God instructs us through others in the church. God instructs us through others in the church. Now, uh, okay. Notice here. Uh, so side note, right? There's a capital C in church here. So when I say church, I'll be saying that a lot this morning. When I say church, what I'm referring to is not like a place or a building. What I'm what I'm referring to is uh, the people, right? The people that make up the church. So if Jesus is the head of the church, we are the body. So when you hear me say church, what I'm referring to are the people in the church. Okay. So there's a tight correlation here between Humility and receiving instruction, right? So these two points are interconnected. And so it, is it easier for you to receive instruction from others in the church with a prideful heart or, or a heart of humility, right? So humility and instruction, they go hand in hand. And God, in his kindness, orchestrated it in such a way that the Ethiopian eunuch had an opportunity to understand what he was reading in the scripture through Philip. So this is what God does in his great kindness. He orchestrates things in such a way so that we can have understanding. So he he doesn't leave us in the dark. He doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves, right? In fact, God never intended for us to walk by faith by ourselves. In addition to the Holy Spirit, God has gifted us with the church, right? He has gifted us with each other. So do you know that you are a gift for the church? Do you see yourself as a gift to others? You are, right? Our role as a church is uh, to exhort each other, to correct, to instruct uh, in the Lord, and to remind each other of the gospel, right? To to remind each other uh, who we find our hope in, and that's Jesus. So let me ask you this. Do you struggle to view the church as a gift from God? More specifically, do you sometimes struggle to view others in center church as God's gift and provision to you? If so, know that God loves those people. God loves his church, right? He doesn't despise his church. The fact is, we need humility to allow others in the church to sharpen us. And we need to sit under the, the teaching and sharing and instruction from others in the church. Basically, we need, to, we need to, uh, others to, to guide us spiritually, right? It's, it's part of being the church. And <laughs> I recognize that that's not necessarily an easy process, right? And, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself with this, right? That's not an easy process, but uh, that's part of being the church. Like, we should expect it to be messy. Uh, and at the same time, allowing God to utilize his church to sharpen each other. So this, this is why we meet uh, for corporate worship on Sundays, this is why we meet throughout the week in our community groups, right? To have others and allow others to speak into our lives. Psalms 25, 8 through 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. So a, a heart attitude of humility helps us to have a proper biblical view of God, and ourselves, and, and others. And Jesus himself, he, he was the greatest example of humility. Right? So if, if Jesus encountered humility, why wouldn't we? Right? Okay, so, so moving on. When, when Philip met with the Ethiopian eunuch and heard him reading out loud, the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. Now, what I want to do is actually go and read the entirety of Isaiah 53. Now, the chapter's not long. It's only 12 verses, uh, but it's just saturated and dripping with gospel good news. And so Isaiah 53 was a prophecy describing a suffering servant, Jesus, that was written some hundreds of years uh, before Jesus's earthly ministry. So it's really good and rich, and and I'd like us to, to read through that. So We have turned, every one, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death And was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Okay, so that was Isaiah 53. This is what the eunuch was reading. Now let's jump back to Acts 8:34, right? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him. The good news about Jesus. And, church family, this, this is it. Like, this is what it's all about. Right? This is the primary thrust of this morning's text. Jesus is the main point. Like, we don't have to read between the lines for any implied meaning or metaphorical imagery, right? Uh, Philip just lays it out explicitly and directly. It's all about the good news. Of Jesus. Jesus was the one who was despised Jesus was the one who was despised and rejected He was a man of sorrows He was familiar with grief He was held in low esteem He was pierced for our transgressions He was crushed for our iniquities His wounds healed us He held the iniquity of us all He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He remained silent in front of his accusers. He was stricken. He was in anguish. He bore our sin. And in the Bible, we find several Old Testament prophecies and and foreshadowing of Jesus as the coming Messiah. And then in the New Testament, Jesus fulfills those prophecies as the revealed Messiah and Savior of the world. Right? so, have you ever asked yourself why? Like, why did all these things have to happen to Jesus? Why did he have to suffer for us? Why did he die for us? Like, why is there significant in Jesus' death? Because here's the thing. Like, I would be willing to die for my family members. Like, many of you probably would as well, right? For, for my kids, I would be willing to die to save my wife and my kids from death. So then, why was Jesus' death so significant? Why was his death more significant than anyone else's? Now, we, we could do a whole separate sermon talking just about that, and talking about atonement and, and reconciliation in Jesus, there's a lot to unpack with that, but I just want to try to briefly uh, un- unpack that just a little bit this morning and do a quick overview um, of this question of why Jesus, right? And so the question of why Jesus uh, can be helpful in answering if we look back at the Old Testament process of reconciliation, right? So in, in short, God is good, uh, he is holy, And then people are sinful, and it is our sin, right, that alienates us or separates us from God. And so our sin uh, is a barrier in experiencing God to the fullest. And so in the Old Testament, reconciliation between God and people was based on a sacrificial system. So you can find passages for understanding atonement and and the sacrificial system— primarily in Leviticus, right, in chapters 4 through 6 and 16. Uh, And so Leviticus outlines some really detailed, like, procedures for different types of sacrifices, different types of sin um, that, you know, that individuals or the nation of Israel as a whole, um, different type of sacrifices that they could offer up for atonement. And so atonement for sin, uh, another word for atonement is um, like, uh, like amends or restitution um, or a payment. So at- atonement for sin was made by sacrifice- sacrificing an unblemished animal. Then its blood was sprinkled or smeared on the altar. And so the, the elaborate nature of these blood sacrifices uh, attests to the gravity with which God views sin. Like, God hates sin. And so you and I, in our modern Western context today, uh, right, may, we may cringe a little bit at the idea of a blood sacrifice. Like, that seems weird to us. Like, that's far out. Um, because we don't, we don't practice that. Right? Uh, but for the Ethiopian eunuch, at this time, the idea of shedding an animal's blood as a sacrifice, that, that was not strange. It's what the people of God did during that time. They would, they would offer sacrifices— for atonement and uh, for sin. Uh, and this happened all the time, right? God's people would sin, uh, and then they would shed the blood of an animal to reconcile themselves back to God. So so God is good and holy, and people are still sinful. Sin separates us from God. So then why was Jesus' death so significant? The reason why Jesus' death was so significant is because he was the perfect and pure sacrifice. Like, he was sinless. He was unblemished. Jesus was the only person on earth who never committed a single sin. So, in God's kindness, right, towards us, he provides a way for us to be made right. Christ's death was the once and for all atonement event Fulfilling and surpassing all other means of securing reconciliation. This is good news for us. And this is why you and I today, as followers of God, this is why we don't do animal sacrifices, right? We, we no longer have to make animal blood sacrifices the payment has been made in full through Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. So this, this is good news for us. Romans 6.23 says, uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the, gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. And, and again, the, the, the beauty of all this is that God didn't leave us hopeless. And fending for ourselves, but rather he provided the way for us to be reconciled in Jesus. And Jesus, in his humility, willingly went to the cross and suffered a a terrible crucifixion death. And so Jesus experienced all of these things so that you and I could be made righteous. And he did these things so that we could experience spiritual freedom. I mean, can you imagine, like, the Ethiopian eunuch, what he felt when Philip connected the dots between Isaiah 53 and Jesus? Like, the Ethiopian eunuch had to be thrilled to hear the good news about Jesus' life, death, and and resurrection. Like, Philip was blowing his mind, right? So the Ethiopian, who was prevented from worshiping God in the temple because he was a eunuch, because of who he was, now has access directly to God. Through Jesus. So th- this had to be mind blowing, right, for the eunuch. For the first time in his life, the Ethiopian eunuch experienced a gospel wakefulness. Author uh, Jared Wilson wrote the book that uh, maybe several of you are familiar with, titled Gospel Wakefulness. And in the book, uh, he says that gospel wakefulness means treasuring Christ more greatly. And savoring his power more sweetly. And he goes on and emphasizes that gospel wakefulness is not something that is learned or attained. Uh, in the book, he says, quote, When I say gospel wakefulness can't be learned, all I mean is that I cannot lay out a gospel wakefulness technique or system like your mom might lay out your Sunday clothes. Uh, really, there are two steps to gospel wakefulness. Be utterly broken and be utterly awed. Oh, but neither of these things are things that you can really do, right? They are things that only God can do for you. And so as the Ethiopian eunuch is, is caught up in awe of Jesus, as he's taking it all in and realizing that everything is going to be different for him moving forward, we get to read about his response of faith in verse 36 And as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said See here here's water what prevents me from being baptized and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him And we look at the Ethiopian eunuch's response in verse 36 What prevents me from being baptized Like, so place yourself in the eunuch's shoes as he asks this question, right? What prevents me from being baptized as a eunuch who previously had restricted access to God? What prevents me now from experiencing God in all his fullness? And I can hear Philip saying, like, nothing, right? Nothing prevents you anymore. You are free. Come to God in all fullness. Nothing is preventing you. Do you see the hope that God provides for the eunuch? Do you see God removing barriers? in the eunuch's life. Now, Philip obviously talked about water baptism with the Ethiopian, right? Philip was probably following the words of Jesus in Matthew 28 uh, to go and make disciples and baptize them. And so it's important to note that the the actual act of water baptism, right, is, is not what saves you. It's belief in Jesus. Uh, rather, baptism is an outwardly expression of what God has already done in your heart. Right? It, it's a proclamation of the old life being washed away and a declaration of the new life in Christ. So this is healthy and good for the church to practice, uh, to boldly declare what God is doing in a person's life. And I, uh, I, I really struggled with following through in believer's baptism. I was around 9 or 10 uh, years old and, um, when, when I professed Jesus, and, and I believed in Him. Um, but I knew that getting baptized isn't uh, what saves me. Uh, and so um, I was prideful and fearful to go in front of people to be baptized. So for seven years, for seven years, I wrestled with the Lord in following through with being baptized and there was no guilt or shame coming from anyone who cared for me, right? Not from my parents, not from my pastors, not from God. Uh, and so throughout those years, I, I, I knew the Spirit was working in my heart, like softening my heart, just tugging at my heart, uh, and continuously showing and demonstrating to me His patience. And so God was, He was so gentle with me and just walked me through that process of, of pride and fear. And, and I remember it clearly when I was 17 years old. Um, I found myself just in a state of brokenness and awe of God. And so there, there, there was nothing that was preventing me from getting baptized except my, my own pride and fear. And, and God, in His gentleness, right, he, he broke down that, that barrier for me. Okay, so moving on to the last part. Uh, I want to read the last section here of our passage this morning, and then we'll wrap up. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So just like that, In an instant, Philip ghosted the Ethiopian eunuch uh, as the Holy Spirit took him away to Azotus, where he went on telling more people about the good news of Jesus. And and the Ethiopian went back uh, to his homeland rejoicing. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if several others came to faith as the Ethiopian shared the good news of Jesus with his own people. And like the Ethiopian eunuch rejoiced on his way home, we too can rejoice and praise God in light of who he is. And so when we talk about gospel application, we remind ourselves that it's nothing about who we are or what we've done. Uh, The only thing that matters is Jesus, who he is and what he's done. So the first point of gospel application is this. The work of Jesus is good news for us his life, death, and resurrection. God comes to us. He meets us where we are in need. In the same way that Philip ran to the Ethiopian eunuch, God runs to us with a message of hope, hope of a loving Savior. Philip didn't provide the Ethiopian eunuch with any intellectual facts. He just simply provided the good news of who Jesus is. And so this is, this is helpful for us I think as we engage our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers right you, you don't have to have a perfect theology to share the good news of Jesus right? you, you don't have to have every oppositional question thought out ahead of time you don't have to burden yourself with being able to scientifically explain the resurrection of Jesus like th- those are those are good things to know but they shouldn't be a hindrance for us in, in, in sharing uh, the good news with those that we care about. And so God is in the business of transforming people. Uh, that's what he does. That, that's his job. He transforms uh, hearts. He changes people. The Holy Spirit will do the job of transforming hearts. You're just the messenger of the good news of Jesus, right? just like Philip was. The second point of gospel application is this, that God breaks down barriers for our belief. Just like he broke down barriers for the Ethiopian eunuch to come to faith, he does the same with us. And he he does it in kindness and in mercy. So God doesn't just break down barriers for us to come to salvation, but, but God removes barriers that we face every day in our life that prevent us from going to him and trusting him in everything. He breaks down barriers in our trusting him, with how we treat others, especially those that we don't like. He breaks down barriers in our trusting him with things that medicine doesn't seem to fix. He breaks down barriers in areas of our unbelief. And third and lastly, uh, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. He took on God's wrath so that we wouldn't. God's grace expression of love towards us is found in Jesus. So let's let's rest in that.